It's always a pleasure to be able to speak to Houghton Wesleyan. Um, I can't tell you how pleased I was to see that Houghton hadn't been washed away when I was riding into town this morning. Uh, as an avid fisherman, I can tell you even the trout were carrying umbrellas this past week. Enough with the water. We got it. So I'd like to share uh, some reflections on how our faith uh, intersects with the culture uh, at large. Uh, and I'm going to make a few observations on some things that I've been following this past year. Uh, for the past year, I've been fascinated by the whole Marie Kondo phenomenon. Are you familiar with this woman? She's amazing. She's popularized the notion of radically decluttering your life. You get rid of anything that doesn't, in her words, spark joy. <laughs> this is a radical idea for Americans, right? Maybe you can fit your car in your garage even. You know. No, I, I actually heard her say in an interview that the real clutter uh, is in our hearts, and we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, granted, some of her suggestions are a bit out there. I mean, she says she keeps only about 30 books at any one time. <laughs> I keep that many books in my briefcase. You know. <laughs> she has over 3 million followers on Instagram, and her name has become a verb. People talk about Marie condoing their house. This is when you know you've made it, when your name becomes a verb, right? So if I say I'm going to John Cole this light bulb, I go, right, you know, I'm going to Peter Roski my refrigerator. I'm... Marie condoing your home. The point is to maximize joy in your life by decluttering anything that doesn't bring it to you. So that stack of student essays I have to grade, the work of the Antichrist, right? You know. <laughs> On the other hand, the Cabela's catalog, oh, this sparks joy, you know, although I think I'm missing her point at that, at that point. But let's think carefully here about what's being promised in connection with some other pop culture obsessions. DIY home renovations. Oh dear. Are you ready to see your fixer-upper? Right. <laughs> uh, shows like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, say yes to the dress, or as I like to call it, where common sense goes to die. <laughs> Basically what these shows are saying uh, is that there is a way to get the joy, uh, the house, the perfect spouse, uh, the life you always dreamed about and imagined. This past semester, I taught a course that examines the philosophical and cultural implications of what's called transhumanism. Uh, what human life will be like when our longevity is extended by means of technology far beyond what it is now, and uh, when we turn more important decisions over to artificial intelligence. And, and what strikes me uh, is the picture of the shiny, happy future folks in this movement are uh, painting. 
the point that I'm trying to make here is that from so many different angles in our culture, the message seems to be we know what kind of life we want. We just need to find the right team, the right consultant, the right tech to help us get it. And we're so used to thinking about our lives in this way that it's difficult to disentangle our minds from this way of thinking when we come to the way we practice our faith, especially in view of what the gospel promises us. So Jesus says in our text this morning, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Some of your translations might say and have it to the full. What exactly does that mean? I want to be cautious here uh, because a very common mistake in interpreting a passage is, is thinking that by using a lexicon, by doing a word study, you can unpackage the meaning uh, of a verse. I tell my theology majors that acquiring a little Greek, like acquiring a little knowledge, can be a very dangerous thing here, okay? Uh, But the text here means something like, a life that is just overflowing. This is the spiritual equivalent of a bumper crop of zucchinis. I got so many, I just got to give them away. You're going to find one in your mailbox. You're going to find one on your doorstep. If your car is open, you're going to find one in the backseat. I want to put a stamp on one and mail it to you. I got so many. It's a life that you can hardly imagine compared to the life that you're currently living. It's just sparking joy all over the place. It's a fire hazard. This verse uh, comes in the midst of a passage in which which Jesus has been been using this shepherd-sheep metaphor. He's the good shepherd who cares for the sheep, unlike the strangers and thieves and robbers. And interestingly... And maybe this strikes you as odd. John says the disciples didn't get it at all, which is weird. You know, are you kidding me? You really don't understand this metaphor? Come on, guys, bang the rocks together. It's not that difficult. But I think we tend to miss the point of the passage in a different way. We understand the metaphor, but I think we misunderstand the promise. Now, a prime example of what I'm talking about uh, is a best-selling book, by a very well-known megachurch pastor in which we're told that if we just keep trusting God, just keep holding on to these promises, take him at his word, we will get that promotion. We will get those breaks. We will be blessed with good health. We'll finally receive that miracle and enjoy that best life we've always wanted now. And we have a pretty good idea of what our best life would be. Believe it or not, a board game has actually been made out of this book. I'm not kidding you. I've played it. Not only is it stupid, it's not even fun. (laughs) Now, my own thinking is that if someone takes trust in God and turns it into a board game... Eternal torment might be too good for them. You you see, I think all of this is just missing the point of what Jesus is promising. Um, Jesus has been comparing himself uh, to this caring shepherd and a a self-sacrificial 
shepherd. The metaphor is weird. I mean, would you would you really lay down your life for a sheep? I'd be I'd probably make a deal with the wolf, right? You know. But but of course the key you see to understanding the abundant life is wrapped up in this metaphor. You do have to read the gospel carefully to understand what it is. And I'm going to make just a couple of connections for you. So the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and therein lies the means of redemption. That's good news. And my sheep, Jesus says, hear my voice and enter into that pasture and experience <clears throat> pardon me, that abundant life. These sheep listen and they obey. As a long-time cat owner, I can say very unlike a cat, right? Um, I grew up working on a dairy farm. I don't know much about actual sheep. I have no idea what sparks joy for them. All I know is they taste good when they're young, you know, which is why Jesus says the Lamb of God, that's for another message, okay? I have no idea what sparks joy for a sheep. Do they lay around and chew their cut all day and knit their own woolen sweaters? And, you know, why would, they, why would you do that? Right? But Jesus' sheep, us, he says, know his voice. And it may come as a surprise to some of you to know that we can be absolutely sure about what he is saying to us. We don't have to guess. If you go onto the magical land of the interwebs, you can find all kinds of people who will tell you what Jesus told them that he wants to say to the church. And most of these people are, what's the word I'm looking for here? Nuts. Most of them are nuts. Okay. And fortunately, we don't have to rely on crazy people to tell us what the shepherd is saying to the sheep. Jesus is very clear in John's Gospel as the heart of his message. Just a few chapters over, chapter 15, we hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, guys, just like the Good Shepherd has done for you, right? You know, connect the dots here. He can't be any plainer than that. That's what the Good Shepherd is saying to the church. So you want to hear his voice and follow him into the pasture and experience that abundant life? That's what he's saying. And if any preacher tries to tell you what Jesus is saying to the church and they don't focus there, you're listening to a charlatan and a snake oil salesman. Marie Kondo is more right than what she realized. We will surely clutter our hearts with all kinds of reasons not to love. John Wesley used to tell the early Methodists, when you ask people, have you received this blessing? Have you received that blessing? We might ask, do you know the key to the abundant life? And Wesley says, if you mean anything other than love, you are taking people off the right trail. You are putting them on a false scent. The abundant life, folks, in other words, hang on to this. I'm going to lay some wisdom on you. The abundant life is a life in which we have been enabled to love 
regardless of our circumstances. Now, one of the interesting things about John's Gospel is this emphasis on loving one another within the community of faith. There's not a lot of talk here about loving people out there. Maybe that strikes you as odd. Let me ask you this. When you have a serious disagreement with someone, a serious set to, is it easier or harder to love someone who's inside or outside the church? I think our fights within the family of faith are far more painful and more damaging. I mean, we tend to cut people out there some slack. We say things like, well, they don't know the Lord. Right? But amongst people who we think should know better, that we have a history with, sometimes loving people who are closest to you is the hardest thing of all when disagreements arise. Parents, children, <laughs> hello. The great reformer uh, Martin Luther once remarked that you will know how far along you are in your Christian faith when you meet someone who disagrees with you. And in a small community like ours, a serious blow-up between people can take on legendary proportions. <laughs> you know this. People will talk about it for years to come. They might even erect a monument to it in Leonard Park. <laughs> and to be perfectly frank here, most of us, even within the church, are not all that easy to love to begin with. And you know who you are. Okay. <laughs> I know I'm not. Uh, students tell me I'm way too blunt. Can you imagine that? I know, hard to believe, you know. The conversations that I've had, oh, so you're a flat earther for Jesus. No, you don't need me to validate your conspiracy theories. You need to take a science class, son, you know. Or, or this one, oh, so God told you to marry that girl, you know, the one who doesn't want to have anything to do with you. You don't need me to confirm your feelings. You need a reality check, you know. She's not resisting the Holy Spirit. She's resisting you. You know, you know go take a shower and learn some manners. You know. um, Dr. Case, you're way too blunt. I tell him, just imagine if I wasn't a Christian. They say, we can imagine that. Yeah, that's, like, that's not a stretch of the imagination at all for us. You know. Well, if we had to pull off this love by relying on our own willpower, I think we'd be in deep trouble. And I don't want to make too much of this next point exegetically, but I do think it's interesting that if you read the gospel carefully, Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit to abide with us and to be in us comes in chapter 14 long before, to you, get, long before you get to this business about loving each other sacrificially. Um, in the ancient church, the Holy Spirit was referred to as the vinculum caritatis, the bond of love that unites Father and Son and that unites us to the fellowship of the Holy Trinity. The bond without which we cannot experience this abundant life. In the Christian tradition, the cardinal virtues, what we call the cardinal virtues, faith, hope, and love, are the fruit of the Holy Spirit working within us, and that's great. The thing is, though, in talking about the Holy Spirit, whenever Christians talk about some problem in their life, some question, 
we tend to whip out the Holy Spirit like it's a trump card that immediately solves the difficulty. So we're arguing about how to interpret a passage, right? And someone says, well, the Holy Spirit told me, right? Or someone is struggling with an addiction, and someone says, don't you know we have the Holy Spirit, right? And so the Spirit becomes this kind of silver bullet to all of our problems. What makes this even more difficult for us in the Wesleyan Church is that we're part of what's called the holiness revivalist tradition. And this tradition tends to talk about the Spirit in miraculous, instantaneous terms. Um, You know, attending Christian youth camps growing up, Oh, I rededicated, rededicated my life so many times. Uh, Some summers I thought, there should be a punch card here. You know, you rededicate nine times, you get the tenth one free, without all the wailing down at the altar, right? Uh, Monday morning always rolled around, life didn't seem to change, and and where was the life that sparked joy? Uh, Of course there are crisis moments, right? We all understand this. Um, But the truth of the matter is, and this is hard to hear, is that the work of the Spirit in enabling us to love uh, is a very painful process, in enabling us to lead this abundant life, what the church used to call sanctification. Because this whole notion of love is probably one of the most distorted and maligned ideas that we have. I think this is very hard to hear for people who have been habituated by smartphones, the idea of instant downloads. There's no instant downloading the abundant life. It's painful learning that you have to restrain yourself in the midst of a heated conversation. Wesley once said, remember, no one is sinning because they disagree with you. It's frustrating to not resort to what I call the convince font caps lock on social media when you're arguing with someone. It can be embarrassing when a brother or sister pulls you aside and says, you need to cool out because you're acting like a jerk right now. The Spirit works through decluttering and rehabituating our lives like this through many years. You all know this. Loving people when they don't return your love is not easy. Loving God, instead of lashing out at God when your prayers aren't answered, that's not easy. But, folks, apart from these things, the Christian life becomes a kind of moral calculus where I love because I'm expecting things that are nice in return. And sooner or later, you're dabbling in in religion in the very worst sense of the word and kind of a zero-sum game. Well, this is all very heavy stuff. Let me see if I can begin to land this thing for you this morning. Jesus says, I've come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. But the quality of this abundant life is not measured in getting your miracle, your dream job, your dream house, your dream spouse, your dream family. Godly people lose their jobs. They contract illnesses. They experience financial disasters. 
their children sometimes go completely off the rails and break their parents' house and break their parents' hearts. Jesus doesn't promise us a life that's exempt from any of these things. These are just these are things that are hard to hear. To, 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 to your students here today, some of you aren't going to get into that grad program that you're that you're hoping for. Not everyone can get into every program they want. Some of you aren't going to find that perfect soulmate, land that perfect job. Parents, you know you can do everything right and your kids can go off the rails completely. Some of us get news back from the doctor of the test results and those results aren't good. None of these things are fair. All of them are true. It takes a certain level of spiritual maturity to hear that Jesus is not our general contractor. He's not our therapist. He's not our matchmaker. He's not our vending machine who's going to give us the life we imagine will spark joy. That Jesus is no good shepherd, folks. That Jesus is the golden calf. And there's a big difference. The Jesus of the gospel is our Lord and our good shepherd. And if we hear and follow his voice, he will lead us into an abundant life whose abundance consists in loving God and the people around us throughout all the changing circumstances that we experience. That is the life that will spark joy. That is the abundant life. So what I mean to say is that your best life now is not at all the life you imagined, but it will be much better. And so this morning, I commend you all to his grace, and I pray that all of you will experience that life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Our Father, we are grateful for the promises in your word that intersect with the hard realities of our life. We pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we could be enabled to love, to love you, to love those around us when things are going well and when things are not going well. Grant us this grace, Lord, this day. We commit ourselves to you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name.